0: Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Good to see you all. It's wonderful to be able to open God's word together. You know, whenever we have a, uh, a reading like that... I'm always tempted to mess with you all and be a little bit Anglican and put something like this up on the screen, uh, the next slide, and then say this, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I always feel that's a particularly kind of unfair thing to do after a reading like that because if you're anything like me, when you hear something read like Genesis 15, my temptation is always to go, really? That bit is the word of the Lord. Because can we be honest, that was a weird reading. We had some strange stuff in that passage. But here's what I want to try and do this morning. This might be a taller order than it sometimes is, but here's what we're going to try and do. I want to show you that that passage is not just strange, though it is strange. I'm not going to stop it from being strange. It's a weird passage. But I want to show you that it's not only strange Uh, but that that passage Genesis 12 Genesis 15 uh, that they are full to the brim with good news that all the way through those weird verses that we've just read uh, together we see the kindness and the grace and the generosity of God because as David reminded us a moment ago if you were here last week, you might remember that we've started a series tracking one of the major themes of Scripture through the Bible, uh, and as we go from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning of the end, we're going to see that all the way through uh, this book that we come to each week uh, is the generosity of God. And so, as we reflect uh, on this strange passage this morning, I want to suggest to us all uh, that. The generosity of God is on display in what we've just read. And we're going to see that as we look at uh, three things prominent in this passage. As we look at calling, as we look at how we can hold God to his word, and as we look at this idea of covenant. That's where we're going. Uh, we're helpful to have a Bible open in front of you. You've got them in front of you on your phone. Genesis 12 is where we're starting. Uh, why don't I pray uh, as we jump into, into that? Lord God, we thank you for your word. God, even the weird bits, even the bits that we struggle to understand that that aren't at first uh, obvious and straightforward. God, we thank you that in this book that you speak to us words of love and kindness. God, that all the way through is your generosity to us. And I just want to pray for all of us now, for myself included, that as we come again to your book, God, we would know Your kindness, God, that you would amaze us again with how generous you've been to us. Amen. Amen. So we're starting in Genesis chapter 12, uh, but as we turn there, just a quick recap of where we've been uh, in between last week and this week. So Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And there's a lot going on in the beginning of the Bible. The first 12 chapters are packed full of the authors kind of laying down themes that are going to run all the way through the rest of this book. And one of those themes, alongside generosity, is this theme of blessing. the first 11 chapters of the Bible, what we learn is that God is on a mission, and his mission is to bless the world. But time and time again, as we read those first 11 chapters, what we see is that that mission fails, that... uh, God sets plans in motion, but what humanity does, the people that God intends to use to bring his blessing, they turn away from God, and they turn towards evil and destruction. And and what we see in the first 11 chapters of the Bible is this kind of downward spiral. Story after story, it gets worse and worse, and humanity and, and God's creation kind of descend towards chaos and destruction and despair. But amazingly, God doesn't give up on the creation that he's made or on the human beings that he's created to rule alongside him. And that's when we get to chapter 12. And what the author is trying to do in chapter 12 is is see that we've come to the next step on God's plan. On God's mission to bless the world. And we see that his big idea in chapter 12, it's going to carry us all the way through the rest of the Bible, is a family. God chooses a family to be the source of blessing to the world. And he chooses this one man, Abram. I might call him Abraham at some point because God changes his name and that's how we know him more. He chooses Abraham to begin this family that will be a source of blessing to the world. And so that's what we see in chapter 12. This mission, this next step in God's plan begins. And it begins with God's call. God's invitation and command to Abraham to become the source of God's blessing to the world. And it's a very particular calling. But it is in fact the calling that God gives time and time again throughout history up until today to his people. Whenever God calls his people to serve him, it looks a lot like what we see in the story of Abram. Because he calls his people to leave their old lives behind, to trust in him and follow him into a new way of life. Now, for Abram, of course, that was a really literal calling. We saw, didn't we, in verse 1 that he's called to leave his family and his home to leave everything that he knows and go to a new land that God will show him. And when he gets there, God has this kind of threefold promise that he'll make him a great nation and he'll make him a great name and that he will bless him in order for him to be a blessing to the world. It says he'll make him a great nation, a great name, and make him a blessing. And I think we can sum all of that up with that last word. ...with the word blessing, the mission that God is on in his world. You know, we've made blessing, haven't we, a really churchy word... In fact, it's it's spread beyond the church. It's kind of one of those words that you you kind of sometimes see out there in life. And I think it's a word that we use. I, at least, have used it for a long time without really fully understanding what it means. I've got this vague sense that it's kind of good and something God does. And you say it when someone sneezes. But I don't really know uh, what it is. But luckily, it's my job to look these things up so I can tell you. And I've done that. Uh, So uh, blessing, I've come to understand, you can unpack it with these three words. In blessing, God is giving provision and protection and purpose because when God says he's going to bless someone when he says in these verses he's going to bless Abram he's promising to provide for them everything that they need for Abram that was really literal that means that he'd provide resources the food and water and livestock that they'd need to survive and importantly for Abram that he would provide children to carry on his family, to carry on his name and build a people through him. Blessing also means protection, protection from the things that that might otherwise destroy you. Again, for Abram, that was really concrete. The promise of protection was the promise of a land, a place that he and his family could settle and call their own, make their home, but then also divine protection against his enemies an assurance that he wouldn't be destroyed. Finally, perhaps most significantly, blessing comes with a purpose. And this is the the call of God on his people whom he blesses. He gives them the, the purpose, the function, the role in the world of reflecting his character out into the world. Your friends and neighbors can't see God in the flesh, but they can see you. And so those people that God blesses are, are meant to shine God into the world, to become like him and in so doing become a source of blessing. Blessings about provision and protection and purpose, that was really literal for Abram, but it's true for God's people today, who is still blessing. To come under God's blessing is to know that in God we have all we need. That's why we pray, give us today our daily bread. Give us the things that we need. To be blessed by God is to be utterly secure, certain that we are safe in him. doesn't mean that we're free from pain or difficulty or hardship, far from it. But it means that in God, we know we are secure. If we're found in Christ, ultimately, our destinies are safe in him. And being blessed is to receive the calling, to be his hands and his feet, representatives in a world that have forgotten him. That's what it means to be blessed, to be counted amongst God's people, to live a life of trusting him. That's what we're about as the the Church of Greyfriars, being blessed and being a blessing, as people called By God. And Abram, in these verses, chapter 12, is given this incredible blessing by God. God asked everything of him. I mean, it's less significant for us today, but back then, to leave your family, your home, your land, was to leave everything. But he was given so much more. He was promised in return the blessing of God. So in chapter 12, Abram is. Cool. We're going to jump forward, turn with me to the weird one, chapter 15. It's good stuff. Because uh, I love in this chapter what Abram does. Because between 12 and 15, in the last few chapters, things have not gone well for Abram. You can go back uh, and read the story. He's given this incredible promise by God, and you think it will all be up, uh, uh, onwards and upwards from there. But it really isn't. Abram messes up, and it seems like God doesn't come through on his promises. That promise of a land and and of a family of children has not been fulfilled. But Abram, in chapter 15, still trusts God enough to hold him to his word, to challenge God and say, where is the fulfillment of this promise that you have given, given me? Because God has said he will bless him. And Abraham, we saw in those verses, kind of challenges God. You know, verse 3, he says, you've given me no children. Verse 8, how can I know I will gain possession of the land? It's like Abraham is saying, where are the things you've promised me? And we might think that that's Abraham not trusting God, but it's exactly the opposite. He believes what God told him, and it hasn't shown up, and so he's taking God to task. And saying, What are you doing? You told me these things. Why haven't you come through on it? These questions in chapter 15 are an expression of Abram's faith. And I love that. I'm just, before we get to all the stuff about the rams and the goats, I love that this chapter starts with an example of what it li- looks like to live of people of faith. It doesn't look like just kind of carrying on pretending like the questions and uncertainties that we have aren't there, but it's trusting God enough to take them to him and say, what are you doing? You're going to come through on what you've told us you will do. God hears that from Abram and it seems like it pleases him because God reassures him in two ways. Firstly, in verses 4 and 5, he he reasserts, he repeats the promise that he's already made to Abram. He says again, that is what I'm going to do. Uh, But then he enters into a covenant. And that's what we today might call a contract. It's a bit more serious than a contract, but it's a similar sort of idea. He enters into a contract with Abram. That's what's happening in verses 9 through 21. And I want to spend the rest of our time this morning unpacking uh, that contract. uh, Because it's the strange and unusual center of our readings. uh, But it is filled with good news. So what we start reading in verse 9 is actually, we not recognize it today, but it's an ancient way of making a covenant. This is like two people today getting down together with a lawyer and signing a contract. Uh, but this is what it looked like uh, in the ancient times of Abram when you were forming a, a contract together. If you're coming together to make a treaty or, or to agree a kind of significant sale of of land or property you would hold a ceremony like this rather than a piece of paper they do something really quite different because what they would do is they'd they get an animal or a selection of animals and they'd bring them to the covenant making ceremony this point I'd love to kind of walk back to kind of behind one of these pillars and say I brought a goat and a lamb I haven't done that you'll be glad to hear Uh, instead what I'm going to do is you all this morning are going to help me by being uh, our ram and our goats and our lambs. So you just need to begin to emotionally prepare yourselves for a little bit of acting. I'm not going to ask much of you, but you're about to be a part uh, of this illustration. And, uh, and David's going to help me as well. David, could you just begin to make your way to the back? I'll come and join you in a moment. Uh, whichever way you want, David. Dealer's choice. Um, so what they would do, the, the covenant parties would come and they'd bring together their, their sheep and their goats and their ram, this kind of selection of animals, and that is you. And this is the gory bit. Uh, as we read in our passage, they would cut the animals in half, slice them in two, so you can de- see down the middle, and then they'd lay them on their sides on either, on either side of kind of a pathway. So that's you. Just get yourself mentally there. kind of you're a, a lamb that's been cut in half. There's guts and gore over here. We'll get back to the ram. kind of entrails are spinning out. I'm glad the children have gone out. You're lambs and goats. All the way back, what I've done is I've spread out my animals, and I've just like I have done with you, I've put you on two sides of a pathway. And then I meet with the person I'm making a covenant with, David. You are, in fact, going to buy my field from me. And so we agree this together. And having created this grisly scene of kind of blood and guts and gore, we together walk through the middle. So, side by side, we're gonna, he's gonna buy my goat, not the one I've cut in half. We walk through the middle. And you can imagine it, you know, you're mentally there, you're acting. This is a grisly scene. We're walking through a, a scene of horror. Thank you, David. Excellent walking. Very good. And as we did that, if you were those things, we'd be kind of, we'd be right in the midst of it. There'd be blood on our shoes. We wouldn't be able to help but see the kind of gory scene that we'd created in this church as we walked down the middle and made... This promise. But there's a reason that it's so grim. Because if we were walking down the middle of the path between these animals that have been cut in two, we're actually saying something to one another. Because in a covenant, just like in a contract, you make some agreements, don't you? When you sign a contract, you you expect to receive some things. and, And you're expected in return to do some things. And you know that if you don't do those things, there will be consequences. So today, if you signed a contract for any number of things, you, you, you're promised to be given a, something that you're buying. You, you promise that you're going to pay the price for that thing. And, but you know that if you don't pay the money that's owed, you'll be taken to court or your things will be taken, whatever it is. Today, the, the, the penalty often looks like a financial cost. But in an ancient covenant, what you would do as you walked through these animals you'd cut in two as you heard the promises and promised to give something in return, as you walked through the middle of those animals, you would be calling down a curse on yourself. And you'd say, if I don't uphold my side of the covenant, if I don't keep my end of this contract, let happen to me what we have done to these animals. It was a visceral and And kind of really visual thing you were saying to one another. If I don't uphold my side of the bargain, may I be split in two and destroyed. It was kind of like a visual metaphor calling down a curse on yourself. And so knowing that this is what an ancient covenant would look like. What we would of course expect is at the end of chapter 15, God is making a covenant with Abram. What would happen is God and Abram would walk through the middle of these animals who split in two. But do you notice that isn't what happens? It's this weird moment where Abraham is kind of overpowered by the presence of God and he falls into a deep and dark sleep. And instead, an oven and a flashlight walk through the center of the animals. A blazing fire pot and and a torch. It's this image of fire and smoke pass through the center of the animals. If you remember the story of the Israelites in the wilderness, you might remember there's a bit where they follow a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. Fire and smoke throughout the Bible are, are images of the presence and power of God. And so in this contract, the presence of God, God himself walks through the center of the grizzly scene with himself chapter 15 is a description of God making a covenant with Abraham but he is taking both sides of the contract he's making the promises and he's promising to pay the cost and saying that if either side of those uh, uh, that arrangement isn't upheld he will pay the price Abram's in a covenant-making ceremony where he's receiving the blessings of God, but God is taking on all the risk. God makes all the promises. God takes on all the risk. And so that means that if, and spoiler alert, when Abram's descendants, uh, that becomes the nation of Israel, goes down on into the church, when they don't hold up their side of the bargain, which they don't, they're not the ones who call down curses on themselves. God is the one who pays the price for the covenant not being upheld. And you know what? God did pay the price. That is what the cross is all about. Genesis chapter 12 points forward to Good Friday. Because sinful humanity failed time and time again to represent God's goodness into the world. We're selfish and we make bad choices. And time and time again, we allow chaos and evil into the world instead. And we see that all around us in the world, don't we? For all of our beautiful and good moments, humanity is making a mess of ourselves and one another. You and I are making a mess of ourselves and one another. The covenant that we would make be a blessing into the world has been broken. And we see the cost of that all around us. But God is on a mission to bless the world and to be generous. And so rather than having us pay the price for our failure, he has paid the price For our failure in Christ on the cross. He is both the promiser and the guarantee. And we are the beneficiaries of this covenant. So like those animals, he has been broken and killed for our sake. And God's blessing keeps on flowing. God is not done yet because generosity is his mission. And he will see that mission completed. And so as God's people, a part of this covenant, we are called to be blessed in order to be a blessing. And you know, like Abram, we can hold God to his promise that he would do this because he's already achieved it and has secured it in Jesus Christ, in his life and death and resurrection. Our position as blessed, blessed uh, blessed blesses is secure and certain because God in Christ has done everything necessary to see his mission of generosity achieved. And this is the thread that runs all the way through Scripture that we're going to spend the next few months tracking and trusting God to bring to completion what he starts right at the beginning of this book. So that is... God's people today is our mission, to trust God, to trust his promises that he can and will and is using us to be a blessing to the world. And this is where it's important to remember, trust isn't just an abstract idea about believing some good thoughts about God. It contains the ideas of belief, but trust is far more concrete and solid. It's about living and being differently because we trust that the foundation of our reality is what God has said. It's what he said about us and what he said about the world and what he said about the best way to live and what he said about our place in the universe he created. It's trusting that all of that is true and living. As a result of that belief. So, like Abram, our call is to trust God and leave our old lives behind and follow Him into a new way of living. Following Jesus and trusting that as we do that, never perfectly, but God has signed a contract on our behalf. Trusting as we do it, God's blessing will be released in us and through us because that's what God says will happen that is god's goodness and kindness and generosity to us he's given us a calling he's demonstrated that we can hold him to his promises and he's signed a covenant in his blood so that we can be sure that he will see his mission through to the end that the world will be blessed and that he'll use us for for that we will be blessed blesses so as we finish I just want to pray and pray that God would increase in us trust that we might see and become a blessing to the world so can I invite you to stand if you're able and I will pray for us So, Lord, we want to thank you again for your kindness that we see throughout Scripture. God, thank you that your, your mission from page one that runs through the Bible, your mission is to bless the world, to provide for us and to protect us, to give us a purpose. And God, we, our desire is to be a part of that story to not just receive your blessing, uh, but to pass it on to those around us. And so we want now to ask that you would increase in us trust. Trust in what you've done and who you are and what you're doing. Trust in Jesus Christ and his death for us. That we might not just hold these ideas in our head as an abstract idea, but we might live lives that are rooted on a, on a solid rock, the rock of Jesus Christ, the the assurance of your generosity and blessing to us and to the world. So God, like Abram, would you make us people of faith, people of trust? And as we more and more trust in you, would you make us a blessing to the world around us? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.